This is Let's Talk Education Research, a research podcast from the Institute of Education at Dublin City University, with me, your host, Dr. Peter Tiernan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of Let's Talk Education Research. In this month's episode, I'm here with Dr. Orna Farrell from the School of Policy and Practice at the Institute of Education in Dublin City University. Orna is going to talk to us today about a recently published article titled Learning Design in the Time of COVID-19, the Digital Learning Design Unit Story. So thanks very much for joining me this month, Orna. I really appreciate you giving up your time, especially at this busy time of year, marking, starting new semesters. So it's much, much appreciated. Um, so before we get started to talk about the article, I think it'd be nice if you told us a little bit about yourself. So hi, Peter. Thanks very much for inviting me on the podcast. I'm excited to be here. Um, so I suppose my, my journey to where I am now has been quite a winding one. Um, the best kind. Yes, yeah, yeah. I started my career as a, as a secondary school teacher. Uh, then I moved on to work in a private college as a lecturer. And then eight years ago, I joined DCU uh, working in the area of online education, particularly supporting um, mature students studying online. And at that time, <coughs> I was halfway through my doctoral research. So I then started using, uh, I suppose, my own students as a kind of a practitioner researcher to do my research. So then I started getting really interested in online learning, experiences of being an online student. And then also we were kind of going through this transformation of how we were teaching and learning within the courses. And I started getting really interested in learning design Mm -hmm. and trying out different approaches and trying out different tools and techniques. Um, And then more recently I joined the Institute of Education. So that's kind of my, my backstory. I wasn't aware you were a post-primary teacher. What I, subjects did you History teach? and German. Oh. So I'm going back to my roots. Uh, I, I'm, I'll be in placement next week starting. I was frantically trying to remember yeah. some German there, but nothing came no. back. <laughs> Einfachklasse. Yeah, so I'll be out in placement next week uh, visiting uh, fourth-year language modern language students Excellent. in German. Yeah, so I'm going, going in full circle. It's very strange. Lovely, yeah. yeah it's nice, though. Mm. It's very nice to keep in touch with the school system, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm actually curious to see what it's like. It's been a while since mm. I've been be inside a second-level school. Yeah, yeah be great. So, um, as I said, you're here today to talk to us about the, your article on learning design during um, COVID-19. Um, so, can you tell me a little bit about the context of the study, how it emerged, um, where did the idea come from? Yeah, sure. I mean, really, this is a, this is a real practitioner piece. Um, and the idea came from the experiences I had during COVID-19. So, I helped uh, set up a unit called the Digital Learning Design Unit in DCU, which purely was set up to support academic colleagues with the pivot online. Mm-hmm. So we were given a very broad remit, like mm-hmm. go help people now. Panic stations. <laughs> Emergency. Yeah. Um, and uh, they, they, they hired very quickly, actually, 10 learning designers to work with me on this. Um, and I, as I said, we were given a very broad remit. At the time, the, the university realised people really need some help. Mm-hmm. Um, they started thinking a bit about the nature of the help. Mm-hmm. They had done some questionnaires to students, questionnaires to staff. So they had a fairly clear idea about what, what's, where the help was needed. Mm-hmm. In particular, staff needed support with the technical side of teaching online, but also with the pedagogical side. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where the unit came from. Um, we were set up, I think it was August 2020, uh, just before the, the about a month, six weeks before the new semester. And many of the staff uh, had not come from a, a HE context. Mm. 
I think one had. Mm. Um, so there was a really steep learning curve, um, but they were fantastic. And, and very quickly, we kind of developed a very simple approach to working with staff. They particularly wanted us to work with teams initially. So mm. we started our work with program teams and we blended uh, a bit of professional development around learning design. Um, and we kind of used the frameworks of universal design for learning. Uh, also ABC Learning Design. Mm-hmm. Familiar with that one. That's a lovely framework. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. One of the things I've noticed about that framework, particularly I've, I've used it with um, post-primary teachers during during that period um, and speaking to them since, you know, even though we approached it in terms of the digital and online learning space, it really helped them to examine their practice in face-to-face learning. I mean, yeah. so much of what we learned during that period was really applicable in face to face too a lot of it is just good good mm. design or mm. good mm. good thinking about your practice and and i agree with you i i've been using um abc with uh education and training students in instructional mm. design and i th- you can apply it to any teaching mm. or mm. training context it's just very flexible mm. and why it seems to resonate with both the staff and students i've worked with uh, is it's quite quick it's quite understandable, but it's got a very solid theoretical underpinning. Mm-hmm. So it draws on Diana Laurie Lard's work and um, her conversational framework. Um, and quite quickly, you can see, oh, look, I've mapped out my my uh, my week or whatever. It's all acquisition. Mm-hmm. It's all content mm-hmm. focused. Mm-hmm. So, you know, something needs to change. I have to find, you know, an opportunity for students to practice or mm-hmm. collaborate mm-hmm. or create, investigate yeah. or create. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So and as well, it's... Um, it's, it, to me, it seems that it's easy to understand, hard to master, which is great when you're trying to move people one step on. So they can start with one step, which, as you say, is maybe visualizing what I'm doing. Mm. And the next stage is trying to integrate different things. But each of those, you can go layers below oh, yeah. and layers below. Well, learning design, I mean, like you could spend weeks, months, years designing something beautifully you know mm-hmm. uh, in a previous project the, uh, this one a funded project I had called Open Teach, uh, we designed a short online program that was about 20 hours we spent six months designing it mm-hmm. uh, now we were a small team but we had the luxury of time and money you know mm-hmm. but, but in COVID that wasn't possible yeah. so we designed this kind of uh, intervention which combined a bit of professional learning for staff delivered on Zoom a mixture of a little bit of theory and then we used a uh, small group um environment within breakout rooms to actually do hands-on okay. uh, technical work mm. so you know maybe they were interested in trying some asynchronous methods so we'd show them how to do that and we'd get them to try it in front of us um so it was kind of a, we tried to kind of bring that workshop mm-hmm. feel to the mm-hmm. online environment staff loved it uh and then at the same time, we came up with a kind of list of 20 things to pimp their loop pages. So loop is DC's Moodle. <laughs> uh, we called it something fancier. But essentially it was <laughs> kind of that from now pimp, on, pimp your loop page. <laughs> and it was drawing on kind of like good literature, like, you know, presence, even simple things like having a photo or a mm. welcome video mm. or a banner mm-hmm. or your email address. A lot of that was absent from mm. many of the so, so small things. Because traditionally, um, when we were teaching face to face loop or, or Moodle, as some of our listeners might know it as, um, was, you know, where you'd put your notes and put your activities, but you were always seeing them face to face in between, or the majority of the time. Yeah. Whereas this was then the only point of contact. Yeah. So this became, you know, another part of your face or your visibility to your students. So. Yeah, because it's your digital campus. Mm-hmm. And you're right, if you don't have the face to face context to build that rapport mm-hmm. and build your presence, build relationships, you have to do it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so they love uh, the staff loved pimp my loop page 
Um, they liked the workshops as well, but they were too long. Mm-hmm. So we did that for about two months and it kind of got us through that first busy part of the semester. We worked with like hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the feedback was brilliant. We gathered, we were good about kind of data collection. We gathered feedback as we went. We gathered information as we went. And one thing we started doing as well was um, we used a um, version of Quality Matters, which is a rubric for uh, analysing any virtual learning environment for for you know good things like you know does it have any course introduction does it have blah 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 so we used a version of that a lighter version okay. and uh, we started before we met say I was going to work with you I'd go in and have a wee look at your loop page go through this kind of little rubric come up with a few areas that I thought mm-hmm. could be improved now it was all done in a very collegial way because one thing we found was that Staff were quite sensitive about mm-hmm. sharing their, their practice, just as staff sometimes can be a little shy about sharing their classroom space. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were very sensitive and it, we were very much supportive. Um, and, and people seemed to respond well to that. But at the same time, it gave you that opportunity, it seems, to be um, like targeted in yeah. your advice. Exactly. So that it wasn't a one-size-fits-all. So yeah. while it was maybe difficult for staff to share, the value for them was increased. Just, yeah. So we tried to tailor it exactly. Um, and often actually, we, as time went on, we kind of built our list of services to to be more similar to a kind of a professional design service. Mm-hmm. So we offered a main menu of kind of options, like a one-to-one consultation, okay. where I'd say, you know, Peter, what do you want to do? You know, mm-hmm. uh, And then we also had like a module redesign where someone wanted to completely change it. And then we'd go through a whole kind of ABC process. Okay. Um, and the thing that made us, I suppose, different to other support services here is that we would actually help you with the building. Mm-hmm. So you might say, you know, I'm really interested in these three activity types we're say great give us a script give us a storyboard we'll build that for you great. and I'll show you a prototype and you can tell me what you know what did you like what you not so that was different mm-hmm. so we would actually be happy to do the legwork but at the same time we would be very happy to show people how to do it as well mm-hmm. but t- people really lacked time and I suppose we tried to fill that gap yeah 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 so it's 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 that um area between like advice support scaffolding that you seem to yeah. occupy sounds fantastic yeah and um, like a lot of support um so then as part of the study um what would you say that um were the key findings or whether the participants um come through how did you find your data from the participants yeah. what are the key things that that came out in the study so the, the kind of because it's case study I, I gathered data from like lots of sources so i gathered feedback data after every kind of interaction, mm-hmm. I would gather data through a, a short feedback questionnaire. Um, some staff would, would would just email me feedback as well, and I mm-hmm. gathered all of that. Uh, we also kind of gathered project man- management data, like which modules, which faculties, types of interaction. Yeah. 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 Um, so we got to kind of, you know, stats on that as well. I mean, some of that is amazing. Like uh, at the end of a year, we had worked with 442 DCU colleagues and wow. I'm just trying to find the module number here I have that too it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a crazy number um, the, really the, the kind of scale of what we did was, was huge sounds immense yeah. yeah yeah. but we really leveraged the manpower we had or person mm. power uh, <laughs> and we worked that's another thing that was really interesting we, had, we met I think in June 2021 for the first time in person wow. so, so yeah. the team culture and we had a great, like a fantastic team. Some some of the colleagues are still here. They're now working in the new version, DCU Studio. So that's another long-term impact. This is a short-term kind of ninja measure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the university saw a value in this approach. 
and created a permanent learning design unit called the DCU Studio. It's great. It's such an impact, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I think there's broader conversations around other positives that can be drawn from all of the work that yeah. was done, both by you know, like learning design and learning support, but also you know, academics and, and even post-primary schools and all the work they did to shift mm. into that space. And you know, um, myself and colleagues have often discussed um, the idea that some of that might be lost mm-hmm. if we don't, if we don't um, capture it. I, I, I do worry about that, but I think there is still some, some long-term gains. The digital mm-hmm. competencies that, yeah, that yeah. staff in particular developed, mm-hmm. their confidence with technology. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you said to m- most colleagues two years ago, go and make me a short video in Zoom, they wouldn't have had, mm-hmm. you know, pre-COVID, they would have had no idea. Yeah. And I'd say most people now would have yeah would be able to do that absolutely they know what Zoom was they knew what you meant they know how to share it um so i think the digital competencies definitely mm. was a big area mm. of growth some of the other learning about modes etc i think there may have been a bit of a post covid backlash mm. but i think in some ways it's it's taught us to value those in person moments mm. yeah and maybe we should be not only rethinking modes in terms of online but also in person mm-hmm. Because, you know, student attendance and stuff has been a bit mixed since COVID. Mm-hmm. So I think... So what's the value in, in the different interactions that we yeah. present to people? And I mean, I, I like face-to-face teaching as well. I'm, I'm not just only an online individual. But I think if students are making the effort and paying the money and commuting to come in, we have to give them a really high-value in-person experience mm-hmm. as well. Something that can't be done by... Mm-hmm watching a video or so you know so. and I think value can mean different things you know because I've heard this conversation happen mm. um, and sometimes it feels that it's meant in a way that you know the lectures need to be absolutely amazing but sometimes the value is in the, the type of engagement that happens when you're with people so the collaborative work you know that space for people to work together and converse that was so lacking um, you know according to sources uh, in the online environment um, and the restrictions in terms of um, using chat and cameras mm. off and cameras on and that, that difficulty in breakout mm. rooms and all of those things that frustrated people. What do we do in the face-to-face space that brings up the strengths of that mode, yeah. that face-to-face mode? I, I completely agree with you. I mean, I don't see the high, the high value of the face-to-face, I don't think is a lecture, you know, performing a jig in front of a class. Mm. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's the, peop- the thing people want is to interact with each mm. other. Mm. So we need to maybe rethink our how we spend two hours. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't spend two hours at one-way traffic. We we create lots of nice opportunities for mm-hmm. the students to talk to each other because that's what they and, want and to talk do. Talk to you, you know, and, and get more from you yeah. than as part of a discussion rather than a, you know that didactic approach. So, what would you say then would be the key findings that emerged from from this study? Well, I suppose the the, the big one is is learning design is a huge valuable resource for any institution and Mm -hmm. it it is a space to invest in and as you say it's not just about online or blended it's about learning design it's about learning learning exactly yeah 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 and the the kind of methodical way of approaching the design of good learning experiences i think really is is a high value thing Mm -hmm. to keep Mm -hmm. you need to invest in people uh for that Mm -hmm. because being a learning designer like it, it, you know it's a profession but it's a third space profession that are people not well understood as well mm-hmm. so I mean we need to value those colleagues mm-hmm. uh, and the important role they play and they kind of you know they are in this third space um, the second thing I think is um, that kind of strategic institutional approach is very valuable as well 
Um, third, the professional learning, the on-demand rather than, mm. I, I think there's something about that, the tailored on-demand mm -hmm. rather than here's a, another workshop on yeah. whatever. Twice a year. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. And with 50 other people that you can't ask questions at. Mm. You know, people, people like being able to talk to you one-to-one -one, uh, and receive one-to-one -one support mm -hmm. or even small group support. Yeah. Or even just knowing that they can email you if they're really stuck with something and yeah, you give them yeah, a hand. Yeah. Because the, the situation that presented itself in COVID was such a emergency that I think people, traditional modes, both obviously of the online teaching, but modes of things like professional development, changed. And it sounds like there was a lot of positives in that change. Mm -hmm. um, also, what strikes me is, for want of a better term, the crack squad that came together, all of the benefits that came out from that, of bringing a team of people together to solve mm. a particular problem. Sounds fantastic. And from the participants' point of view, I know you've covered a lot then, I presume mm. some of that came from them. Was there anything that was highlighted in terms of feedback on the process? Or? Um, well, the, the kind of, well, a couple of the positives, they liked the, the kind of high-touch approach we took. Mm -hmm. It was personal, it was tailored, and that we were empathetic and that kind of mm -hmm. that seemed to matter a lot okay. uh, because confidence not only competence was a big thing so you know staff confidence in their own ability to actually do what they needed to do was very low mm. um, so building confidence along with digital competence for the educators is a big thing I think that still needs to be a huge focus going forward but for students too mm. Uh, students' digital competencies are, you know, this whole digital natives myth persists. It's really not true. Um, digital competencies, I think, are not. It's not necessarily about age. It's actually about um, mindset, and you exposure know, and, and exploration and creativity and a lot of a lot of cool stuff. We need to give both both groups more opportunity to, to explore this. Mm. But. Um, remember what the question was Peter <laughs> I was just asking if there's anything specific you can remember coming from the participants yeah, so, but there's lots of great so findings that, that, um, that, that tailored personal approach and the building confidence and the relationship that built between us and, and colleagues as well okay. they felt you know kind of that personalised support was very valuable great great yeah. sounds like um, some really interesting findings both in terms of looking backwards but also looking forwards mm. and where to take learning design um, where to take some of the learnings from the COVID-19 experience mm. sounds like there's a lot in there um, and we will have the link to your article as part of the description um, in the podcast for our listeners so finally then um, what's next in this area for you is mm -hmm. there any follow-on work that you're going to do? Is there anybody else you'd like to connect with or link in mm. with that might be listening to this and, and want to contact you? Mm, well, that's a great question. So uh, there's kind of a, a follow-on project I'm working on with colleagues. A um, Eamon Costello is leading out on it and we are uh, doing a questionnaire to learning designers about their kind of experiences and also being a third space professional. Okay. So we're kind of localising an existing questionnaire that I think was developed in Australia so there's some very good research going on in Australia around the role of learning designer or instructional designer. So that's kind of started up um, at the moment. But I, I would like, as a kind of a subset of that project, I'd like to do some more qualitative research, uh, possibly IPA, in the area of what's it like to be in a learning designer. Because okay. um, I kind of, I've done quite a lot of student voice research mm -hmm. and, I was, mm -hmm. and having worked at learning designers and... Um, 
I'm kind of interested in this third space aspect. And their voice around that. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be fascinating. Um, Because they can sometimes be more precarious than other colleagues in institutions Mm. on more precarious contracts. Um, and also often their roles aren't well understood by the mm. institution mm-hmm. so they don't there often sometimes isn't a, a clear career path or career trajectory for mm. them as well mm. also what strikes me and I'm not putting words into your mouth but if there was somebody who was listening who maybe uh, did a similar project in a different university mm. either nationally here in Ireland or internationally mm-hmm. it might be an interesting comparison, comparative study there on yeah. the, um, the responses I know in the literature we hear about emergency response teaching mm-hmm. you know uh, and that was the kind of front facing yeah. lecturers and educators but there was also the emergency responses happening in the background a comparison between what universities in different jurisdictions yeah. it might be interesting so yeah. anybody get in touch with or the sharpens of online learning I love that phrase that's, yes. that's one of the ones from COVID-19 yeah that's how, how learning designers are the Sherpa yeah and the, yeah, the, the literature on the emergency response stuff is interesting like Chuck Hodges stuff is good mm. he wrote one of the early pieces on it mm. um, but I think in a way we're kind of moving on from that now, aren't we? I yeah. feel like there's a different tone and vibe now Absolutely. in the post-COVID times. Yeah, yeah, it's moving, not going back to the way things were mm-hmm. and trying to see and understand how we can use what was learned and use the strategies that yeah. we built over that time when returning to a new normal. Yeah. Um, so lots there around student expectations of what that yeah. is too. As long as it's not hybrid learning. Exactly. But the, I suppose the last thing to say is, is thank you for having me. And if you didn't realise, the, the title of the article is a, a little play on uh, love and the time of cholera. So that was a little... I uh, didn't, I uh, didn't yeah, get yeah, that, yeah. Sorry for not... not no, no, that's okay, okay. Play on words. Well, let's try. You know, it's nice to have a hooky title. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so thank you, Peter. It's been really nice to be and here. And yourself, Orna. So th- thanks very much for taking the time to speak with us. Um, and as I said during the episode, the link to your article will be in the description for anybody who wants to read it. Thank you. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Thanks again for joining us on Let's Talk Education Research. To find out more about the podcast, you can email me directly on peter.d.tiernan at dcu.ie. You can find me on Twitter at pt underscore phone underscore home.